that is breathing room. When you get to the point in your life and you're like, God, my heart is wicked, my heart is sinful, my behavior doesn't match the scriptural standard, and yet you still love me. That's breathing room. That's what you and I crave and desire. You are listening to a message preached by Pastor Bogdan Kipko at Forward Church in Irvine, California. For more information about Forward Church, please visit forward.fm. In the last couple of weeks, um, in the last actually couple of months, um, our church has been uh, preaching through the Gospel of Mark. It's been an incredible journey so far, and today's not going to be any different. And today's message is entitled Breathing Room. Turn to your neighbor and say Breathing Room. I think this is a lot of, this is something that we absolutely need. Maybe you're, you own a business, maybe you work in the corporate world, maybe you're a mom who takes care of children. We have so many different responsibilities, and I think one of the things that we all crave and we all desire is breathing room. We want extra margin in our life, we want a buffer zone, and oftentimes it just doesn't happen. And I want to talk to you guys today about that, and I want to share with you a story. I was flying on a plane a few weeks ago, and this crazy thing happened to me. It's never happened to me before. We got on the plane, and I got into my seat, and I put on my noise-canceling headphones, and I'm just getting ready for takeoff. And so I'm just kind of listening to some music, and I was super tired from my trip, and um, the plane starts taking off. And as the plane begins to take off, I fall asleep. And I thought nothing of it. And what begins to happen is I begin to fall into a dream, and I'm starting to have this dream. And so I'm dreaming this following thing as the plane is taking off and soaring 35,000 feet above the world. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing myself on top of this very, very tall roller coaster, and I'm, and I'm living this dream very, very vividly. And I see that at the top of this roller coaster, there's going to be a humongous drop. And I feel like I'm sitting on this roller coaster in this strange cylinder, and when I, get to, when I got to the very top of the roller coaster, it had a very massive drop. And what began to happen is, as I'm dropping on this roller coaster and I'm going down, I'm seeing, not really seeing where I'm going, I'm seeing there's like this strange tunnel. And as I'm dreaming halfway into this, I'm beginning to feel a very severe shortness of breath. I, my, my breathing becomes very shallow and my breathing becomes very few and far between. And so what begins to happen is because my brain and all of my faculties need oxygen, what begins to happen is I'm like in the middle of my dream state and I'm slowly beginning to awake because if I can't breathe anymore, I'm probably going to pass out and something's going to happen to me. And it gets to the point where I'm almost going down on this cylinder, on this roller coaster, into this weird tunnel and I'm 30% awake, I'm 70% still in my dream, and there comes a point when I try to take a breath, and I can't as if there's no more oxygen. And at that moment, when I was completely out of breath in my dream, I wake up. And I wake up and I do this, I go, <sighs> and I take a breath, and my, my lungs fill with so much breath, and I begin to realize that I almost died in my dream, in my sleep. And it's funny now, but it was not funny at the particular moment. I have never experienced this in my entire life. 
I've never, and I did not know what was happening. And I believe that at that particular moment in my life, this was the, the moment of polar opposites. I felt like I was as close to death as I could possibly be. And then in the next second, I felt as much alive as I possibly could. Breathing room. This is what I want to talk about today. You've experienced this in your life. You, you know your sinful, wicked behavior. Your heart is unclean before God. But then you realize what Jesus did for you on the cross, and you realize how much life you have. So we're, we realize how desperately wicked and sinful we are, and at the same time, we realize how deeply loved we are. That's where the breathing room is. And so I experienced that when I was taking a nap on a plane, and these two thoughts came to me immediately on the plane as I was flying. I was closer to death more than I've ever been before, and I had more breath in my lungs than I could ever hope for. That's what I want you guys to remember about this message today, that you are closer to death or war more than you ever wore before, but because of Jesus, you have more life than you ever thought possible. Amen? That's the greatness about Jesus. And so I want to read this text, Mark chapter 7, verse 24 through 30. If you have your Bibles, please open them. This is going to be a moment when this story is going to have a character who's going to experience breathing room. They're going to be close to death, and they're going to experience life. So Mark chapter 7, verse 24, here's what the Bible says. And Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and didn't want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. How do you approach God? How do you connect with God? Most of us can think of two options. There's this ancient understanding of God where God is this bloodthirsty tyrant who needs to constantly be appeased by good behavior, if not outright sacrifice. And so we try to live a life doing good things, doing good deeds, hoping, just hoping that God would be happy with us. And then there's this modern understanding of God that he's a spiritual force. We can access him anytime we want. No questions asked. He's ready to answer us. But in this story, the gospel writer Mark is going to show us that approaching God might mean something entirely different. So Jesus, what he did was he left the Jewish provinces. He went into a Gentile territory to get some rest. But if you know that you're in ministry, ministry never rests. There's always work to be done. And so this woman comes to Jesus and makes her way boldly to him. Now, she's a Syrophoenician, and because of Tyre's proximity to Judea, she would have known the Jewish customs. So the point is, she knows that this woman knows she has no religious, moral, and cultural credentials to approach a Jewish rabbi. She's a Phoenician, she's a Gentile, she's a pagan, she's a woman, and her daughter has an unclean spirit. This woman has no business approaching Jesus, and she knows it. She's not ignorant of the fact. 
She understands she's unclean. She knows she's disqualified to approach a, a, a rabbi. But this is what the woman does. She doesn't care because she has a particular plan and she has persistence. She enters the house where Jesus is without invitation. She falls down on her knees and she's begging Jesus to exorcise a demon out of her daughter. And the verb here, beg, is a present progressive. She keeps on begging. Nothing and no one can stop her. And my friends, for this woman, her only cover letter is her desperate need. This is what, my friend, you and I sometimes need to have. That there is no credentials we can bring to Jesus other than our desperate need of him. This is exactly what the woman does. And you know what? Her heart is right, even, her, even though her credentials are wrong. So in Matthew chapter 15, this parallel account, the disciples urge Jesus to send her away. Can you imagine that? She's pleading with Jesus. She won't take no for an answer. And if Jesus refuses, it will be because the right time has not yet come. And here's the thing. Jesus is doing what must be done first. Here's the problem with you and with me. Sometimes we don't get what we want from God, not because he didn't want to give it to us, but because the time is not right. That's why. And so there will be moments in your life where you will have to set aside your pride, your ego, your self-esteem, and your selfishness, and you will just have to beg God to save you despite what other people might think of you. This woman took a risk. She understood the embarrassment she's going to experience, yet she did not care what this act of begging is going to make her look like. So what is Jesus' response to this woman as she's down on the floor begging? Well, what Jesus says here to her, on the surface, it seems like an insult. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, I want to talk about canines for a second, okay? We are a canine-loving society, Okay? If, if you, I don't have anything against dogs. I don't own a dog, so you understand where I stand with that piece of it. Um, there is a thing in Orange County called Yappy Hour. Wow. Yappy Hour, yeah. I didn't, I didn't mispronounce it. It's a Yappy Hour. And there's a particular park where they put on a concert and food and manicures and pedicures for the dogs, and thousands of people converge on this lawn, which is oceanfront property, by the way, and everybody gets their dogs taken care of. We're a canine-loving society. Some of you guys have dogs. But here's the difference between our society. In fact, some dogs are getting treated better than humans. I've seen it myself. When I go into Target, do you know what the first refrigerated section I see? It's not food for humans. It, it's food for Fido. In the New Testament, dogs were scavengers. They were wild. They were dirty. There was no pedicures for dogs in the New Testament world. Their society was not canine loving. And to call somebody a dog was a terrible insult. And in Jesus' day, the Jews often called the Gentiles dogs because they were unclean. Now, you might be wondering, well, Jesus, are you insulting this woman who has a daughter with a demon? Not at all. 
There's a parable in here. Jesus uses a diminutive form for this word, so he's almost saying a puppy. Now, remember this woman is a mother, okay? And Jesus is saying to her, you know how families eat? Think of your family. First, the children come to the table and eat, and afterwards, the pets eat whatever is left over. And Jesus is like, it's not right to violate that order. The puppies must not eat food from the table before the children do. So if we go to Matthew's account of this incident, he gives us a slightly longer version of Jesus' answer in which he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So what Jesus is saying here is that it's not that this woman's need is not important. It's that, that Jesus has a mission and he has a timeline and he's going to complete it in the right way. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not denying this woman's request. He's simply establishing a priority of mission. It does not include other hungry mouths. After Jesus was resurrected, he immediately said to the disciples, go to all nations. His words then are not the insult they appear to be. And so essentially what Jesus is doing is this. He's coming to this woman and saying, look, you need to understand, there's an order of events here. I'm going to take care of you as well. And the lady basically says this. The lady's like, look, I totally get all that. But look, the puppies eat from that table too. And I am here because I am hungry. So Jesus told this parable in which he has given this lady a combination of a challenge and an offer. So here's what the lady says. It's almost like she's saying, all right, Jesus, I totally get it. I'm Syrophoenician. I'm a Gentile. I'm not from Israel. I don't worship the God that Israel worships. Therefore, I don't have a table, a place at the table. Imagine this. This lady doesn't take offense. We live in a society where every person is offended at everything and triggered every moment of their life. This lady is not asserting her rights. She's not saying, Jesus, you're not an equal opportunity feeder. you got to give me my portion. She's like, Jesus, you're right. I don't deserve any of this. She's not even asserting her rights. My friends, how often do you and I assert our rights? We deserve it. We must get it. I've worked this hard. I've worked at this job for this long. I've been married for this long. I make this much money. People must serve me. It's not what this lady's doing. She's wrestling with Jesus in the most respectful way possible, and she won't take no for an answer. What she's doing is she's doing rightless assertiveness. Here's what she does. She understands that this table of Jesus, she's not deserving to be there, but she's not basing her being at the table because of her goodness, but rather Jesus' goodness. That's what happens here. The lady's like, I understand I don't deserve it. And there's nothing in me to go to this table. But I know how good you are and how merciful you are and how graceful you are. Therefore, upon your goodness, you will allow me to sit at the table. That, my friends, is rightless assertiveness. When we come to Jesus and we say, I've messed up. I've done wrong things, but God, your mercy and your grace is so much bigger than any sin I've committed. This is what this lady is saying. It's not that she's saying, this is what I'm owed. This is rightful assertiveness. 
The lady's saying, don't give me what I deserve. Give me what you will because of your goodness. That's what's happening here. Now, I want you guys to not miss this. Jesus says here, for this statement, you may go away. He means when she says what she said, Jesus is like, wow, right answer. She gave him the right answer. Her please answered, her daughter is healed. But I don't want you guys to miss this point. As important as the healing of her daughter is to this woman, it's not the main issue for Mark. This is a story of persistent faith. It's not a deliverance story. It's a story of a person who's messed up consistently, yet they go to Jesus because they know how gracious he is. That, my friends, is rightless assertiveness. So what we often do is we say, Jesus, I've messed up so much, there is no way you can help me. That is a wrong kind of a thinking. It is a reverse pride that we have. Jesus' blood covers our sin. The dialogue takes center stage. Mark highlights this woman herself, her great exercise of faith. Here's what the point is. It's about not giving up no matter how many times you've messed up. That's what the story is about. The woman appears to understand the purpose of Israel's Messiah better than Israel does. And here's the only way that you and I need to approach Jesus. We must come to Jesus with an open heart, with empty hands, and with a daring faith that whatever he's going to give us, it's enough. It's the only way to approach Jesus. That's what she did here. And this woman here, she saw the gospel. It's almost like she's saying, I'm more sinful than you ever thought, but at the same time, I'm more loved and accepted than I ever dared to hope for. That, my friends, is breathing room. That is breathing room. When you get to the point in your life and you're like, God, my heart is wicked. My heart is sinful. My behavior doesn't match the scriptural standard, and yet you still love me. That's breathing room. That's what you and I crave and desire. We want that from our spouses, from our friends, from our family, from our church. We desperately crave breathing room. We desperately crave somebody to look at us, to see our flaws, our faults, everything we have in us, and say, you know what? I still love you. That is what Jesus does. That's breathing room. This lady, she's not too proud to accept what the gospel says about her unworthiness. She accepts Jesus' challenge. Now, There's two ways you can fail to have Jesus as your savior. Two ways. One is by being too proud, having a superiority complex, being so self-absorbed that you say, I'm just so awful that God can't love me. How often have we heard people say that? So what we're in effect saying is, we don't need your offer. Another way is to refuse to see God, refuse to come after his mercy, refuse to accept it, refuse to be content with it, so as to say, I'm too good for it. In essence, we say, God, I got this. I don't really need your help. This lady approached Jesus with rightless assertiveness. She approached him boldly. This is a picture of salvation. And almost like she's saying this, she said, Lord, We are all dogs under the table with no rights whatsoever as family members. I acknowledge I don't deserve a place at the table, but I believe there is enough room for me at this table. 
That's what this lady's saying. She's almost saying, Jesus, even just a few crumbs off of that table where you sit is going to be enough for me. But Jesus prepared for us so much more than crumbs. He's prepared for us eternity. And in this amazing display of grace and mercy, Jesus, he lifts us up. We're no longer a dog, a sinner, but a child saved. We're no longer under the table, but now a member of the family at the table. So here's the point, my friends. Your sin is greater than you realize, but his grace is greater than you can ever imagine. That is the absolute meaning of this particular area, of this particular text. So I want to say this. On the cross, where Jesus Christ died in our place for our sin, the child of God was thrown away, cast away from the table without a crumb. So that those of us who are not children of God could be adopted and brought in to have a seat at the table. On the cross, there was a great exchange where Jesus Christ gave up his seat at the table so that you could be there when you did not deserve it. That, my friends, is the gospel. So put another way, the child had to become a dog so that we could become sons and daughters at the table. Jesus, through this story, is teaching us the greatness of the gospel and the love that he has for us. So what Jesus did is this. He came up, he gave us up his seat at the table, he gave it to those who do not deserve to be at the table, and because Jesus identified like that with us, now we know we can approach him. The son became a dog so that we could, we dogs could be brought to the table. My friends, this is the greatness about Jesus Christ, that he sees our faults, our sins, our flaws, and yet he still loves us. And so what we do with our rightless assertiveness is we come to Jesus and we say, look, God, I know I've messed up. I know I've done all these things wrong. And I believe you still will forgive me, not because I'm good, because you're good. And Jesus did this for us, and he showed it for us this in this story. You are listening to a message preached by Pastor Bogdan Kipko at Forward Church in Irvine, California. For more information about Forward Church, please visit forward.fm.